All right, Matthew 22, and which is a new chapter for us, but it's a continuation of where we've been. And uh, Matthew 22, verse 1, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said. So this is going to be the third parable that Christ is giving while he's in the temple. Uh, the first parable... Uh, he's, he started back up chapter 21 there, verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching. And the first parable starts there at verse 28 uh, about the two sons. And then verse 33 about the vineyard and the householder and so forth. And the third one here now begins in chapter 22. And again, the, the setting is he's... He, He's in the temple. He's gone in. Uh, the, he's talking to the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the Herodians. He's going to get them all. And uh, they're a little upset with him for throwing out the money changers and cleaning up uh, you know, all the garbage and so forth. And uh, he come, he, again, he's there during the daytime. He leaves, Luke says. He goes out. Uh, outside of the Mount of Olives out there. So uh, the Lord was a camper. Uh, he didn't stay at the Holiday Inn or any of that good stuff. He's out there uh, roughing it. And we've, uh, <clears throat> so here, and again, he's in the temple that second day, and they're like, what are you doing here? And they're up, they're mad at him. So he begins to lay on these parables. And we've been through the first two parables and, the, uh, and those in the context as he's giving those parables are about um, the, his uh, first coming and so forth. And now here in this third parable, he's going to talk about the king who made a marriage supper for his son. And really what's going to happen here now is we're going to move. The first two is in his current, in this first coming now he's going to take them to his second coming. And uh, we'll see that as we go down through here. Verse 2. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he set forth, sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying... Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with gifts. Now, I read down through that so that you kind of get a feel of what we're going to be talking about. The passage here, the king makes an, op has a, makes an opportunity for, to honor his son's marriage by celebrating it with a supper. 
And, and this is going to be some pictures here of, of, of the offer of the kingdom. That's what the verse said, is like, it, it, there in verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. So he, he, the king, he sends out the invitations. He does it by his servants. Uh, come over to Luke 14. Uh, Luke 14. And there, um, <laughs> you, you get a little different picture of this event in Luke 14. So he sends out invitations by his servants, and they, no one takes him serious. No one comes. Now look, if you will, at Luke 14. Look at verse 16, 14, 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them, that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. Now you'll notice in verse 17, it's servant singular. And in Matthew 22, it's servants plural. Okay? You'll notice in Luke uh, 4, in verse 16 there, that it doesn't say how he sent out the invitation. It doesn't say how he did it. The first invitation is given there in verse 16, and the second one is given in verse 17. The issue between the difference between the servant and the servants, Matthew and Luke, or Luke and Matthew, is that Matthew, he's referring to the apostles and who go out to call Israel to the supper. In Luke, he, when he sends a servant out there, Again, verse 16, Luke 14, 16, and he said unto him, a certain man, and he and sent his servant. The servant there is actually really the Holy Spirit working in the servants, in the apostles. So it's 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 the difference in Luke 12 is his servant there is the fact that the servant is actually the Holy Spirit. And the reference there to the Holy Spirit working through the 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 apostles that's going to end up really playing out in a little bit in acts in the early acts period when the when he comes in so go back to matthew 22 i I just want you to see that difference there i'm sorry matthew 22 because when you see the issue here that they're now going to go out and do the bidding invite them in Matthew 22 carries a little bit more information of how that invitation is taking place, where Luke just says they went and did it and they're moving on, okay? Matthew 22, look at verse 3. Here's the first invitation where the king sends out the first. And he, he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. All right? So, first set go out, they don't come. Verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared. So then he says, look, you guys go out there and you make it really clear. Don't just say come, but you tell them that the food is on the table. (laughs) It's ready to be eaten. Come and get it while it's hot. You know, all right? 
come on down, come and get it while it's going on. And what did they do? They made light of it there, verse number 5. So what you have here is him describing what's going on during the Lord's ministry. He, he came himself. The father, he sent his servants. God, the Father sends John the Baptist out. Says, come. What did the nation do to John? They rejected him. Okay. Then Christ comes. He sends out the apostles, Matthew 10. He sends out the 70. He, he, he's, they go out and they call Israel, tell the Israel, come. Call Israel to repentance. But what did Israel do? They didn't want any part of it. They made light of it, verse 5. They, so, by the way, in Acts 2 and 3 over there, Peter's going to say, the guy you just killed, guess what? He was the Messiah. He is the one that said, come. In John 21, he tells them, come and dine. And you guys missed it. You blew it. So in Matthew 22 here, verse 3, you see John the Baptist. That's verse 3. During the earthly ministry of Christ, with the twelve, and the 70, and then in verse 4, he adds an urgency to it of, hey, everything is ready. And by the way, what he's talking about there is the issue of the new covenant. It's all ready. The kingdom is what? At hand. It's all here for you. All you have to do (coughs) is sneeze. (laughs) Blow out the speakers. So what'd they do? Every, I, could you imagine? I mean, everything that they need is here. It's ready. Just come. Verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. You know, he's the guy, I got a piece of land. I got to go over here and make sure. I got to go check on it, make sure it's still there. Like somebody's going to steal his farm land. Then another guy says, hey, I, gotta, I got my merchandise over here. I've got to go over there and check that one out, make sure nobody's stealing my, my stuff. Verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. There's the Acts period when they take James and kill him, and they're after Peter and John, and they come in and their response is with that thing about the kingdom will be taken by violence, and the violence comes in. Verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, he was angry, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now, their city is is Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about. And in, in the parable here, it's associated with the issues of the kingdom of heaven. So you have to remember where we're at here in the, the timing of everything. Come back with me to Daniel chapter 9. They have their, they've had their first invitation. They didn't respond during the earthly ministry of Christ. So they get a second invitation. That's going to match up with the early Acts period. And guess what? They didn't respond to that either. They responded violently. So after they've rejected the first and the second call 
to come, Acts chapter 9, I'm sorry, Daniel 9, all right, they've, they've begun to, they, they rebel. Now the king responds, and in the, in the parable, in Matthew 22, he goes down there and destroys them. And he's going to pour out his wrath. So the response of the kingdom to the, the, the second rejection and the, 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 is, is the issue of wrath. And when you see that, Daniel 9, verse 25. Um, verse 24. I, 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 always ha- I always want to read verse 24 to remind everybody that who we're talking about. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of, sign, of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So the city, the people, that's Israel. And there's six things there that's going to be, there's six things there why the 70 weeks have been determined to take care of. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Under the, seven, under the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. That's the crucifixion. But not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall, notice, destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war desolate desolations are determined and he and he the antichrist shall confirm the covenant with many for one week that's the 70th week so on the board here you've got the going forth to build the city there that's that's going to start the clock here's the prophetic clock god does everything on a time schedule uh, galatians over says uh when in, in the um, he was made of a woman. Doggone it! <laughs> I just had it. And when the full yeah Galatians four four. But when the fullness of the time was come, he's always working. So he sa- he says the time clock starts when the street shall be built again and the wall. They're going to go and restore and build Jerusalem. That is Nehemiah chapter. Number two, where Cyrus looks there to, to Nehemiah and says, go. That's going to be seven years. And then we're going to come out here 60, or seven weeks, sorry. It's weeks of years. So we've got 62 weeks. And at the end of the 62 weeks is where the crucifixion of Christ is going to happen. We've got, so we've got 69 weeks here. Okay. And then... We've got, uh, in Luke, the Lord gives us another year. That's the Acts period. That's not in Daniel. Daniel looks right over, and he says, okay, he's going to make a contract. The covenant's going to be signed, and there's the 70th week of Daniel. Now, we call that 70th week usually the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is all of it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just the end. We usually call this tribulation, but guess what? All of it is tribulation. 
not just the end. That's why you'll hear me say 70th week of Daniel, because that's a very specific time period that gets nailed in here in three and a half years and 42 months and 1260 days. Three and a half years, 42 months, and 1260 days. And then at the end of that, the Lord comes back, establishes the kingdom, thousand year reign begins. Then we have the Satan's loose for a little bit, and we got the fire come down and destroy him. And then you got the great white throne judgment out here where death and hell and the sea are all gathered and cast into the lake of fire out over here at the end. And then you have the new heaven and the new earth. Now, that's what the prophets see. It starts back here, going and building Jerusalem. And again, that's Nehemiah chapter number 2, you know, there in verse 1 and following. So, you think about where we're at here. In the, in the Lord's earthly ministry, we have John the Baptist, we have Jesus Christ, we have the twelve... He's out here in Israel establishing the little flock, that apostate nation out here, he, apostate Israel out there. Again, the husband, the vine goes in, the fruits, the leaves are on the tree, on that fig tree, but no fruit. So what does he do? He calls out that little flock. The door in is John's baptism, water baptism. The Lord is there, the twelve are there, and they are calling out the apostate nation in, okay? Who, so this all, this right here, ought to be up here, okay? I just didn't want to scratch it up too bad. So you've got all this going on, and what you have here is the parable, and come over to Luke, uh, by the way. The, the, the signing of the covenant, you read that in Revelation 6, okay, where the four horsemen are and so forth. That starts the 70th week of Daniel. All right, where, where, where are we? Luke, Luke 21. Run to Luke 21. In the parable in Matthew 22, what you see is the nation's rejection of God's call and then you see God's wrath poured out on those who've rejected the call, the message. That's what you're seeing here, okay? You're seeing this prophetic program clicking just right on time. Luke 21, verse 20. Luke 21, 20. And when he shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies... Then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. When they're compassed, I, you know, you hear all these idiots talking about compass and there's, you know, it's the four corners of the compass. But that's not what he's talking about here. In geometry, you have a compass. It's got a pen and a pencil. And what are you usually drawing? Circles. You're, that's what the compass do. When they see Jerusalem, what? Circled up. It's, they're everywhere. What do they know? Now, in Matthew 22, he doesn't say, 
What does he say? I just had it. Man. Matthew 22. He sends his armies. He sent forth his armies. Stay in Luke 21. I want to make sure. When you see that happen, when you see the armies circle up around Jerusalem, what's going to happen? Jerusalem's going to destroy uh, Luke 21, 21. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Notice, by the way, they are which are where? They're where? In Judea, not America, not Russia, not any. In Judea. I t- when we studied the book of the Revelation and this 70th week stuff, I told you the concentration of the intensity of God's wrath is in that Middle East territory. The world's going to feel it. If you shut down a third of the shipping industry, the world feels that, okay? But it isn't, the intent is to do what? Purge out, clean up, deal with that land promised to Abraham. Let them flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them that are in the countries enter therein. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Now, Luke adds, you're going to send it and you're going to destroy. Matthew, come back there to Matthew 22. By the way, you keep reading there in Luke 21, but woe unto them that are with child. I mean, it's, it's a rough time. It's not going to be an easy time. Uh, with child and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And what usually happens with this passage is that they say all of this happened in 70 A.D. It's the preterist viewpoint. The problem is, is in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was not destroyed. It was sacked, okay? The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Titus goes in. He leaves that city standing. He doesn't sack it. According to the history books, (laughs) Jerusalem was destroyed in 135 A.D. But the question that I usually have with these guys is, If 70 A.D. is so significant in their history and so forth, what dispensation was God working in in 70 A.D.? Israel or dispensation of grace? Dispensation of grace. So he's not going to do what? He's not doing prophecy. See? The sacking and the destruction of Jerusalem, come back to Matthew 22... I'm sorry. No, no, the other way around. Uh, you're there in Luke 21, right? Um, in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem itself is destroyed in 135 AD. The temple was, not the city. These passages in Luke 21 and Matthew 22 are talking about the city being destroyed. Yeah, yeah. So when you go into history, 
Yeah. Okay. But my point is, is when does the dispensation of grace start? With Paul in, in the, in the third, late 30 A.D., 30s. Well, if we're in the 70s, then what, is God, what does God do with the prophetic program when he interrupts it? He puts a parenthesis in there, doesn't he? See, there's a parenthesis that's going to come and sit right in here, okay, called the dispensation of grace. Now, by the way, you notice parenthesis and sentence and grammar? It's in there to do what? Give you a little more information, but you can pull it out and it doesn't mess up the grammar. Pull it out, doesn't mess up the grammar. It's right there. So if 78, I, I had a conversation with a preterist guy, and they're all different. They're like the Calvinists. They run in hot and cold, you know, different levels. And my, I kept asking him, wait a second. In 70 AD, the Apostle Paul in the dispensation of grace was in functioning. Romans 11.25 says that Israel is blinded in part. They've been temporarily set aside. So if 70 A.D. is so got to have it, then you've got God fulfilling prophecy in the dispensation of grace. And if that's the case, then we're in trouble because now there's two, two ways to get to God, and there's always only been one way to get to God. See? So you start unraveling a lot of things when you say God's fulfilling prophecy today in the middle of the age of grace when he's not doing it, he's interrupted that. You follow that? Okay. All right. Uh, 20, Luke 21, verse 24. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. That's exactly what Deuteronomy 28 said was going to happen to them. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled... Again, we're in Luke, we're in the prophetic program, okay? There's a guy back here called Nebuchadnezzar, O-Nebi, as Dad calls him. And Nebuchadnezzar starts the times of the Gentiles, okay? He starts that, the political power. This is Leviticus, this is called the fifth course of judgment in Leviticus 26, okay? Where Israel goes underneath Gentile dominion and rulership. After Nebuchadnezzar, you have the Medes and the Persians, and there's Cyrus and those guys, okay? Then after the Medes and the Persians, who do we have? We have Greece. But Greece, after Alexander the Great, is divided up into four. Okay? One of those is Greece, Syria, Egypt, okay, and um, Turkey. Well, Greece becomes the Roman Greco Empire. But it's still what? Greece. The other ones are there. They're on their own thing. The times of the... Who's in charge over here? Rome. The Roman Greco empires running the show. When the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, when would that end? 
When does Israel get, gain back their political power in the kingdom? They lost it over here with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 1 carries them away. You're following this? Okay. In Acts 7, with the stoning of Stephen, all right, so this is going to be political. With the stoning of Stephen, Israel falls spiritually. He introduces us, the body of Christ. Okay? When does Israel spiritually get reestablished? Kingdom. When do they gain their political power back? Kingdom. Oh, but Rick, 1948. No, where is 1948 fall? Dispensation of grace. By the way, who gave that to them? Britain did in the League of Nations. Gen a bunch of Gentiles did. Okay. What about Hitler? He's the Antichrist. No. When did Hitler run, the, run around? Dispensation of grace. See how understanding right division kind of lessens some of the chaos about some of this. Well, what about Trump? Trump's, you know, the next Hitler, the next Antichrist. No. Dispensation of grace. Okay, so it kind of calms some of that down, understanding right division. All right, I got a little more into that than I had planned on it. Now go back to Matthew 22. But it's important to understand where we're at here in Matthew 22 in this parable. The parable is you rejected the first two calls here, the first call, second call, wrath is coming. It's going to fall on you. Verse 20, uh, Matthew 22, verse 6. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. That's the early Acts period. Matt, verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his armies and destroyed these, those murderers and burned up their city. So, he hears about it, right? Acts period. What does he do? Verse 7. Nails them. In, in, Act, in Matthew 22, verse 7. When the king heard thereof, he was what? Wroth. What did Stephen see the Lord doing in Acts 7? Do you remember? Standing. He saw the Lord standing. Isaiah, all the prophetic program, when the Lord stands up, it's time to come and do what? Pour out his wrath. The moment he was supposed to pour out his wrath, what did he pour out instead? Grace and mercy and long-suffering to the Apostle Paul in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus, right? So, in, that, in Matthew 22, verse 7, following he was wroth is a colon, you can insert the body of Christ at the colon. Because after the colon, what happens? He's going to send his armies and destroy the city. After the body of Christ is gone, what's he going to do? 
start sending send uh, his armies and, and destroy them. You follow that? Matthew, what did Matthew do? Looked right over the dispensation of grace, didn't even see it. Okay. Yes. When, when, when in, in Acts 7, verse 50, yes, Isaiah, um, in a, it's Acts 7, come on pages, 56, and you go back to Isaiah 3, I'll give you that reference, hang on here, Isaiah 3, Isaiah 2, I am sorry. Isaiah 2, 19, starting verse 11, talking about the, the Lord, the day of the Lord of hosts. In verse 19, when he arises to shake terribly the earth. Verse 21, the end of the verse, when he arises to shake terribly the earth. Those are all tribulation. He says, the Father says to the Son, come on up here, I'll make your enemy sit. Sit until I make your enemies your footstool. Sit. In Acts 7, he's standing. Time to come back, pour out his wrath. Okay? So right at the moment of wrath, rather than wrath, here's a little mercy, a little grace, a little peace, a little long-suffering. We're going to interrupt the program. So when we go home, guess what he starts back up at? (laughs) right where he just left off, and that's going to be the issue. So God puts in that parenthesis, and he does it, Matthew 22, verse 7, right at the word wrath, at that colon. And that's why, again, when we talk about dispensational Bible study, it it is so important to understand because what really what begins to happen here, like with the preterists and the different viewpoints, is they try to stick us in the, the Gentiles in here, and we are nowhere in this passage at all. Even down here in, in a minute, as the guests show up for the for the ceremony. Okay. All right. Any questions about what's going on up there? You kind of got a fuzzy look on your face. <laughs> it's a lot of information. Okay, all right, verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his armies. Now that's going to be the tribulation. Then, verse 8, then saith he to his servants, in the tribulation, he's going to have servants. They're called the overcomers in Revelation. These are going to be very specific people who are going to be working in this time period. Okay? Servants. Verse 8. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. So there's, here is going to be the third call. The first two calls, John the Baptist, and the earthly ministry of Christ, and the 12 apostles and the 70 and all that they were doing, they were rejected. Now in the tribulation, there's going to be a, literally a third call. And there's going to be some servants here. And he, the, So this is a future call in the tribulation. Okay, you, 
So you, you got that. The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. He says, the guys that we were calling over here, they are no longer, they've rejected the invitation. So don't go pay any more attention to them. They won't be receiving the kingdom. But what did he already tell them in chapter 21, verse 43? He's ta- again, we're talking to the leadership. What did he say? I'm taking the kingdom of God from you, and I'm giving it to a nation that's going to bring forth the fruits of repentance, of the kingdom. Okay? He's ar- 2143. He's already told them that. So th- the established leadership, they have now they have been rejected. They are no longer worthy. Now come over to Acts 13. Acts chapter 13 and watch Paul. Describe Israel's rejection in a very, to the point. <laughs> Acts 13, 46. Acts 13, 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. That's the Jews. But seeing you put it from you and judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. What, notice how he says they were, they judged themselves what? Unworthy. They, they who were bidden, what are they? Matthew 22. Not worthy. They are not, not worthy at all. That was Acts 13, 46. Matthew 22, verse 8. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. So the re- he is rejecting the leadership in Israel. The chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the Herodians, all of them. So he tells his servants, verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways... And gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with gifts. They go out. He says, look, guys, you guys are going to go out there, but don't you go back to those people. You're going to go over here and find others, those who sought me not, as he says. They are obviously not Gentiles. Everybody likes to throw the Gentiles in here. But the Gentiles were never going to go into the kingdom before Israel. They never were. <laughs> okay? So what you have here is a gathering out of Israel, a group of guests that are going to be present at the wedding supper. They're going to be, no, the end of verse 10, furnished with guests. That's important. Because when you talk about guest, what happens is, is everybody likes to bring in the bride of Christ thing into this. Revelation 21 tells us that the bride of Christ is the holy city, Jerusalem. That's the bride of Christ. No Gentiles, none of us, 
no body of Christ. Not, so, again, understanding dispensational Bible study is kind of important here. Kind of clears it up. Come over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Notice how Paul, again, says this with these guys. So who are the guests? They're, they are, again, not the bride. The bride is never talked about in the passage here at all. It's, it's rather, he's talking about, we're going to have a marriage feast, and we don't have guests. Romans 10, verse 19. <laughs> Sorry. But I say, did not Israel know? What a question. I mean, should Israel, did Israel know? They, yeah. First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy that by them that are no people, no people, nobodies out there in the highway, in the byway, the hedges, all out there. They're not a, they're, they are nobodies in the nation. And by a foolish nation, that's the believing remnant, Matthew 21, 43, Luke 12, that's not Gentiles. I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. What does he say? Don't go back over to those people we've been talking with and dealing with. They've rejected me. One time, two time, three strikes, you're out. Go down here and let's find us a little flock. Let's find us a believing remnant. Let's go down there and find the people. Verse 20, I was made manifest unto them that ask not after me. Come over to 1 Peter chapter 2. These people, the, the, those, these are the people that, were, that are finally invited in the, in the parable in Matthew 22. They weren't trying to get to the wedding supper. They weren't invited to begin with. So what does he say? Go out in the highways, 1 Peter 2. Go out in the highways and, 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 and you invite the people, bad or good, People who aren't seeking after me, who aren't looking for me. And you know what you do? You tell them to come on in. Just come. He's talking about that little flock. That's who he's talking about, the publicans and the sinners. He's, he was rejected by the leaders of the nation. That's why this apostate scenario sits. And you go out there and he's gathering that little flock together. So over here in the tribulation... You know what they're going to be doing? Building in that little flock. Out there, you know, finding the people who aren't in the leadership roles. They're not even talking to them. There's where the 144,000 come in. There's where the two witnesses come in. 144,000 sit out in that Mediterranean area, round about Jerusalem. The two witnesses are working in Jerusalem. And you know who they're not talking to? The leadership. The leadership has been gullib has been taken over by the Antichrist. He came in and convinced them, I'll, I'll save you. Just sign on the dotted line. And they scribble away. They've been gone. His servants are doing what? 
they're out there inviting these other. Now, watch this. He's, again, he's gathering together that foolish nation, that righteous nation, that new nation. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter calls, says it this way, but ye are a chosen generation. Now, in Matthew 22, when we get down there, verse 14, he says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Remember that, chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Royal would denote what? The king. Priesthood, the priest. These people are going to be kings and priests unto our God. Just as it were, just as they talk about them in Revelation 1 and in, and in Revelation 5. Uh, priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that, that should show forth, I'm sorry, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Notice that. In Matthew 4 over there, he says that he, when he went up there in the Galilee, that the people which sat in darkness saw light. A holy nation. Peculiar people. He's calling the little flock together here. And by the way, usually People use verse 10 there to say, oh, there's the Gentiles. None of these are Gentiles. This is all Peter talking about, you're not a people, but are now the people of God. That's who they are. He's talking about that little flock. So when you come here, come back to Acts chapter 4. Again, He's going about, he's going to take the kingdom, Acts chapter 4, from the religious leadership, the establishment, and he's going to give it to a new, righteous, holy nation. He's forming that little flock, that believing remnant. Notice Acts 4. He's referring to this little group of people here in Acts. Acts 4, verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he hath need. And Joseph, by, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. What are these guys doing? They're doing what the program told them to do. Remember back over there, Luke 12, he says to them, Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell all that you have. The Lord was telling them back here, you're going to sell. Acts, you're going to sell. Why? What was coming? The kingdom. What were they going to get back in the kingdom? What did Job get back at the end? Uh, Job, he got everything back plus some, didn't he? What are they looking forward to? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all those things that the Gentiles are worried about, 
clothing and food, well, you'll be taken care of. Come over to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. They, that's exactly what they're doing. They, ha, they, they are going to be that kingdom of priests. They aren't going to need their land any longer. They're not going to need their houses. They're not going to need any of those things because they're going to have a very special provision made for them in the kingdom. And that, this is where Revelation 7 gets so misunderstood by people because they don't rightly divide the, the word, but they interject into Revelation 7 things that aren't in Revelation 7, by the way. But the people that he's dealing with here in Matthew 22, these servants, they're going to come through here, and they're going to go into that kingdom. But they're not just going into the kingdom. They're going to go into the issue of the temple, and they're going to become that royal priesthood, the royal priest, Revelation 7. Now, verse 9. The, by the way, the first eight verses of, uh, are describing the calling out of the 144,000, okay? Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the lambs clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And everybody has a cow and says, oh, they're the Gentiles. But you know what? And they say that because he's called them out, uh, all of the nations and the kindreds and the peoples and the tongues. See that? But if you go to Acts chapter number 2, when Peter stands up there, he lists all the nations that all the Jews came out because the Jews are in a scattered condition. They've been scattered abroad. And what happens is, is when he comes in here, he, he's not talking about the Gentiles. Rather, he's talking about gathering Israel back together. And there they are. Are you with me? By the way, notice... What are they wearing? Clothed with what? White robes. And that's going to be important when we go back to Matthew 22. Put that back on the, make a side note. <laughs> Verse 10. Watch what they do. And crowd with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne the elders and the four beasts, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne of their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are those which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said, Sir, Thou knowest, and he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and watch now, serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. These are not Gentiles. These are what? Jews serving where? In the temple, these is the little flock that's gathered together and goes through the tribulation. Specifically, Matthew 24, when we get over there, the great tribulation, which is the back half of the 70th week. 
when, when literally holy hell is released on them, on the earth. They shall, verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither <clears throat> thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. They are going to need food. They don't need investments. They don't need money. They don't need any of that. Because what are they going to get? Everything. They're going to be sitting over in the temple. They're going to be serving God in the temple. And when the Lord comes back and establishes the kingdom, that's, what's in, that's who he's talking to in Matthew 22. He says, look, guys, the leadership of Israel has completely rejected me. You're going to go over there now, and you're going to go out into the highways and the hedges and the byways, and you're going to find people who, who didn't seek me. That you're going to go get them, and, w and when you do that, you're going to sell everything that you have. And over here, we're going to put David back on the throne. We're going to get everybody up in Jerusalem is going to be reestablished, and all this is, and you're just going to go right, walking right on into it. Now go back to Matthew 22. So in Matthew 22, the parable is describing the gathering out of Israel, a group of guests to be, pre to be uh, presented at the marriage supper. And then the function for him in the kingdom. That's what he, all right? Now, you remember I said that, what were they wearing? White robes and palms in their hands, right? Matthew 22, look at verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Uh-oh. They're all dressed in what? White robes. And they guess who they found? And a usurper. Someone not dressed. Yeah, how did that happen? The man didn't have on the wedding garments. You know what that means? He doesn't belong there. He was uninvited. He was a usurper. Verse 12, and he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now that's interesting. Yeah, because verse, from verse 15 on in this chapter, the Lord is going to, you're going to have the Herodians in verse, well, verse 15, you got the Pharisees, verse 16, the Herodians. You go down there, you're going to have the, the, the Sadducees there, verse 23. You got the Pharisees in verse 34. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to ask Christ questions, and he's going to answer them. Now, drop down to verse, 40, uh, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathering together, Jesus asked them. Verse 46. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. You know what he does? They ask him. They're trying to entangle him, catch him. He answers them. He asked them, and what were they? Speechless. The uninvited guest was a guy trying to get in on it on his own. And he's trying to get in there in a condition that 
was a no-no. <laughs> and the only the thing about it, come over to um, James. I'm sorry, not James. It's First John. First John chapter two. So you have an uninvited guest. He's not there. He was speechless. So he's part of that hypocritical leadership. And the thing that I found closest to explaining this is 1 John 2. You start there in verse 18, verse 19. They went out from us. Well, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us. Notice, they. Who would the they be? The Antichrist, the plurality, right? Well, the Antichrist, he is an Assyrian. He's half Jew and half Syrian. His title, one of his names is the Assyrian. Verse 19, they... So the Jews went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. That little flock member going through that tribulation has the unction, the the tasting of the new covenant, the ability to know all things, and guess what they've identified? The false prophet, the false apostles, the uninvited guest. Because guess what they weren't wearing? The white robes. They weren't wearing the wedding garment. Go back to Matthew 22. So the uninvited, the, the man here that was not wearing the wedding garment, he's a usurper. He's one of those antichrist, the plural, okay? He's not the antichrist, but he's one of them. One of the guys in on that religious system that thought he could get there on his own. Now, Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then said the king to the servant, bind him. Bind, bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. What are they going to do? By the way, the usurper. John chapter 10. Okay. You've got the sheepfold. How are they supposed to enter? Through the gate. But there are some that are going to do what? Climb over. There's the usurper. They don't come in the right way. They're climbing over. Okay? What are they going to do to this guy? They're going to go throw him into outer darkness. Look over at Matthew 8, or look back to Matthew 8. That thing about outer darkness, a wonderful study in Isaiah 60 about outer darkness Matthew 8 Matthew 8 Matthew 8 verse 11 and 12 and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven 
but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's going to take them. He's taken that kingdom away from that apostate nation who weren't walking by faith, who weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, and he's going to give it to that little flock, and he's judging them. And in the judgment of it there, he's taking them, and he's just putting them out there into outer darkness. The uninvited, go back to Matthew 22, the uninvited man, he came in thinking, I don't need the king's garment. I've got my own, and my own's good enough. Romans chapter 10, if you write down Romans 10, verse 2 and 3, Paul says that, they, that the, the, the reason that Israel didn't get in is because they, they, they went about to establish their own righteousness. That's the uninvited guest. I'm going to get in here on my own. And Christ stands there and says, nope, you have to come in here. You're going to come into this place. And how you're going to do it, verse 14, for many are called. Many are called. How many did he went out and called everybody, didn't he? First two times. He calling them all. But few are chosen. The call goes out. But only those can enter who have the garment that the king provided, that white robe which ends up being a picture of the righteousness of the saint. He says, come. Boy, what a wonderful invitation. Come. Come and dine, John says. They had to come, though, a certain way, though, didn't they? Repentance and water baptism. They could have come in, in to the believing nation, bringing forth the fruits. That was their program. But the bottom line issue in all of this is having is, is, is where their faith rests. Does it rest in God's word to them? Or is it the rest in my own activity? You see, the issue was trusting in him and his word, not in their own righteousness. Yes, it is. Okay? So that's where they're at. Now, Starting in verse 15, the rest of the chapter is going to deal with the issue of some people who are trying to catch the Lord in questions. And Matthew's going to do a real interesting thing here. We'll see it next time. Again, the three different events, verse 15, the Pharisees, verse 23, the Sadducees, verse 35, a lawyer, verse uh, 16, the Herodians, they're all going to try to entangle him and catch him. And as we go down through the passage, we'll see that they're going to ask him some questions, try to get him, and then he's going to ask them, and they can't answer nothing. So, And by the way, he answers them immediately. He doesn't drag it out. And Let me think about that and ponder on it. Boom, 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 boom. Okay? But catch what's going on with this third parable, the last parable here. And that's a parable that starts over here, but then jumps into the future. And uh, lays out big time that, hey, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and we're moving it over here to a new people, new, a new a nation, my people. 
Paul says it wonderfully in Galatians 6. Galatians 6.16. He says, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them. And that's verse 14 and 15. And mercy. And upon the Israel of God. What a title. That's their title. Upon the Israel of God. That's that little remnant. By the way, I didn't, we didn't really talk about, but Christ uses the Antichrist. He's a, Isaiah 10, he's a rod in my hand. He's gonna go, the Antichrist is going to go do things he doesn't mean to do, but he's doing what I need done, which is purging out that rebel, getting rid of that dross, cleaning up the nation of Israel. The Antichrist is going to go do it. It's Isaiah 10. Um, I think it's verse 5. Yep, verse 5, 6, and 7. And he's going to purge them and use them. That little flock, though, the 144,000 come on board. They're reestablishing the little flock. The two witnesses getting that little flock. These guys are in Jerusalem. These guys are in the Mediterranean area, all designed to reestablish that little flock and literally have an Acts 2 event over again. That's what Hebrews is talking about. And then they're going to, that little flock then becomes the mechanism. And it's specifically in the Great Tribulation. Okay, the back half, the last three and a half years of. And when we get over to Matthew 24, we'll deal with it, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the study of it and the look at the wonderful uh, things that are, you have planned for your nation. And we'll give you the praise and the honor for that. In your name we pray. Amen.